0: So tonight, we're continuing on in our series at the movies. Um, Like I said, we started with Band of Brothers, and then last week, we did Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, and tonight, we're diving into Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, If you haven't seen this movie, it's one of the best cinematic films in the last five years. It's absolutely incredible, Um, and what's cooler than seeing monkeys talk? I mean, it's awesome. Um, Yeah, again, nerd. I'm sorry. Um, But... The whole plot of this um, movie, if you don't know, is there's this infection. There's this scientist who is um, working on developing a serum that can help with the intelligence of a species um, and rather even help with human things, um, people with learning disabilities and things like that. And it ends up infecting all of these people and actually killing them off. And in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, we see this tribe of apes and we see uh, this human camp of survivors who need water to survive, and the only thing that can provide that water and that power um, to run their camp is a dam, but the dam is in the monkey's camp, and so we see this war between species, Um, but the underlying tone, the underlying theme of the entire movie is the apes want to blame the humans for their problems, and the humans want to blame the apes for their problem, and the reality, guys, is we live in a day and age in a society that's all about saying it's not my fault, Um, We've learned to practice this blame game, and we know it, and we know it well. Uh, I want to start tonight with a clip from the movie, so just watch this and look for this idea of the blame game. You know the scary thing about them? They don't need power, lights, heat, nothing. Hey, pal, that's the advantage. That's what makes them stronger. No, come on. I'm thinking one of us should stand guard tonight. With what? They took our guns. If one wanted us dead, we'd be dead already. Maybe they're just taking their time. They already killed off half the planet already. Come on. What? You can't honestly blame the apes. How else am I gonna blame? It was a simian flu. It was a virus created by scientists in a lab. The chimps they were testing on didn't really have a say in the matter. me the hippie dippy bull. You're telling me you'll get sick to your stomach at the sight of them? Huh? see, when problems occur in our life, when circumstances don't go the way that we want them to, when things are difficult and challenging, the immediate response that we have is to blame and point fingers. And uh, this isn't a new idea. This isn't a new concept that's been developed um, just in the last 10 or 5 years. Uh, But it's something that is in our bloodstream, um, something that has happened long, long ago that we're born into. And it happened in the garden. When we look at the story of Adam and Eve, Um, I know that a lot of you guys are familiar with the story. Um, Eve ate of the fruit because the serpent told her to, and then Eve convinced Adam to do the same thing. And we see here sin enter into God's perfect kingdom, into creation, and we see three problems caused in the garden. The first thing that we see is this idea of shame. Scripture tells us that Adam realized that he was naked, and so they covered themselves in shame. The second problem that was caused in the garden when sin entered into the garden was this. When Jesus walked back, where he used to walk with Adam and Eve in perfect unity, it says that Adam and Eve hid from God. So not only were they ashamed of their nakedness, not only were they ashamed of their sin, but we see very clearly here that sin separates us from God. That sin is that wedge that divides the gap between us being friends with the Father And we see the third thing, the third cause of this initial sin in the garden. When Jesus is asking Eve, did you eat of the fruit? She immediately says, well, the serpent told me to. And we see Adam do the same thing. You see, he deflects and he says, well, Eve, she's the one that got me to. You know, you know how women are. They're so persuasive. And I can imagine that conversation and that dialogue. And so we see here in the garden this initial idea of blaming people. It's, it's rooted in us. It's rooted in our nature to sin and in our brokenness. And so what do we have to do? Tonight I want to look at how we can break this cycle. Because if we don't break this cycle, we'll continue to live lives that are halted, that are stopped, because we live in this complacency. Because when you're blaming other people and not taking responsibility for your actions, it's impossible for you to go any further. It's impossible for you to grow or for you to move. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You know, reading that scripture uh, in in that whole passage about the heart being deceitful, it's easy to believe that uh, we just deceive other people. But the reality is, we have created this culture where we deceive ourselves, where we want to lie to ourselves because it's easier, where we say that nothing is our fault. It's something that is in our hearts. You know, everybody knows one of those people who's constantly pointing their fingers because they can't take responsibility for their circumstances or their actions. They're a victim. Everything is uh, because of other people. That's something that they genuinely believe in their heart. Scripture tells us that it's this deception. And I want to tell you tonight to really look at yourself. To really say, am I one of these people? You know, I've never considered it. Whether it's my pride or whatever, you know, I've never really examined my heart or myself to see if I'm a person who makes excuses. Maybe for the first time tonight you could do that and realize that this is an area in your life where God wants you to grow. I think that we're by nature so deceitful that we'll do anything and we'll say anything to avoid admitting the truth about ourselves. We'll do anything to avoid taking personal responsibility for our actions. As I was preparing for this message, uh, I was looking up different things. We always try to uh, incorporate some kind of song or um, quote or something like that. And I found a song by Anna Russell. Now, unfortunately, you guys aren't going to get to hear this song because it's from a folk opera singer uh, from 1964, okay? So uh, the quality is really, really uh, shoddy. But I want to read these lyrics to you because I think that a lot of us could probably either relate personally to these lyrics or you have somebody in your life who, when I read these lyrics, you're going to go, that's them. So just listen to this. It says, I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blacked my husband's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find. So this is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk, and so it follows naturally that I am always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I suffer now from kleptomaniae. At three, I had the feeling of ambulance towards my brothers, and so it follows naturally. I poisoned all my lovers. But I am happy. Now I've learned the lessons this has taught, that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. How many of you guys can picture a person in your mind when I was reading this, this song? Someone who has been able to justify everything in their actions for so long by pointing their finger. See, we have to break this cycle there's a doctor and um, he's a psychologist actually and he did a study on um, people and why we make excuses and there was this one particular guy who was an excuse maker. Uh, when he was in school, he constantly was saying, uh, I didn't finish my homework because the dog ate it. Uh, when he got his first job, he was late for the first day because his car broke down and he got a speeding ticket on the way and his mom called him who's dying of sickness and yada, yada, yada. He had every excuse in the book and the psychologist looked at him and he said, I have a cure Have a cure for your need to offer up excuses and to place blame. And I think for all of us tonight, if we can do this, if we can do this, this is the first step in correcting this problem that I think a lot of us struggle with. He said, instead of using an excuse, the next time you're tempted to, the next time you fail to do something or achieve something, I want you to make this statement. I want you to say, well, I guess I'm just incompetent to run my life. Guess I'm just incompetent to run my life. Guys, I don't know about you, but I don't want to look somebody in the eye and tell them I can't run my own life. It said uh, in the study that this guy did it about two times before he realized that he could actually stop himself from using excuses. And he slowly but surely started to do things. Slowly but surely started to make those deadlines and show up to work on time because he refused to say that he couldn't run his life. He wanted to prove a point. How many of you guys right now are living a life that says, I can't run my life? I can't move past this circumstance. I can't move past this thing that this person did to me. How many of you are choosing to live in that apathy? If that's you tonight, would you make the choice so you don't have to say, I guess I'm just incompetent to run my life? You see, I think when we make that statement, we learn three things. I think the first thing that we learn is we all make a lot more excuses than we would like to admit. Uh, I I encourage you to actually do this. Um, I did this for all of last week. I counted every time I wanted to make an excuse. Any guesses on how many times I went to make an excuse? Just shout them out. Close. Twelve times, guys, in one week. Now, I don't think I'm that horrible of a person, okay? So, um, I think twelve is a pretty average number. But twelve times... I didn't want to take responsibility for my own actions. Twelve times I wanted to point the finger instead of looking at myself and allowing God to show me what I needed to work on. See, what happens is when we deflect things and we put them on other people, what we're doing is we're not allowing God to actually do a work in us because we aren't looking at ourselves. We're looking at other people, and that's no way to grow I think the second thing that we learn from this statement is, it's actually possible to break the pattern of excuse making. It's actually possible to do that. I know so many people that when I talk to them about um, why they are in the situation that they're in, that their immediate response is, well, you just don't know my mom and dad. You know, my dad, he was a drunk. He was an alcoholic. He, He beat my mom. He beat us kids up. And my mom, she was a bitter old hag. And so, because of them, well, of course I'm bitter. Of course I'm hurt. I could have never been anything because of who my parents were. Don't you know what my last name is? And I want to tell you guys tonight, if that's you, if you've been caught in that situation of identifying yourself by your family lineage, that you are not your family tree. You are not your family tree. And I want you to remember this saying. I am not my family tree. I'll grow my roots. And change my leaves. See, the reality is, guys, using that as an excuse is pretty lame because the reality is God is wanting to do a work in you. But first, you have to grow your roots into the soil that God has placed you in. That means being in community, that means coming to church, that means diving into the scripture and the word and allowing Him to do a transforming work in your life. God doesn't just say when you become a Christian, He'll give you a better life, He says He'll give you a new life. A new life. That separates you from that family name. That separates you from the brokenness in your family lineage. And so I don't care if you have a genetic disposition to be an alcoholic. I don't care if your mom was bitter. That doesn't mean you have to be. You see, we don't have a a, a control over a lot of things in this life. You'll learn that more and more. I know I have. The, The older I get, I realize how little I actually am in control of. You know, it's hard and it hurts to realize that we're not in control of other people's actions or choices. But we are in control of how we respond to circumstances and how we respond to the way people treat us. But you have to make a choice. And you have to choose to live a life that is uh, um, worthy and according to the scriptures. It's on you. The third thing is this. Change is impossible. Change is impossible Unless you actually admit that you have a problem. This could be said for a lot of different things. You know, when you deal with somebody who has an addiction or a struggle, they're constantly a person who says, oh, I can stop at any time. You know, I don't have to do that. But the same is true with the way that we sin. The same is true with this concept and idea of putting blame on other people. We say, well, I can actually take responsibility. And if I I really wanted to, I could do this, that, and the other. But you'll never change until you can say, God, I am broken. I have a problem. This is an issue in my life. And I need you to come into my life and restore me. You know, that's something that we saw at the beginning of this service. A man who came forward and said, you know what? I messed up. I have a problem. And God, only you can fix it. Guys, that can be said about anything, especially this idea of placing blame. And so what's the challenge tonight? What is the call? Well, I believe the challenge for all of us is to say goodbye to Adam. Say goodbye to that family tree that says that you should place blame because when I look at Adam, I see a man. I see a flesh that justifies. I see somebody that's ingenuine, who deceives, who lies, who's proud, the scripture tells us that we should every day die to the flesh and cling to the cross and the gospel of Christ. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two, it says, In Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You know, a lot of times when you read that verse, it's easy to just think that that means when you're saved. You know, that moment of grace where Jesus enters into your life for that first time. But this is actually something that happens every single day. Every time that you choose to not make an excuse but say, you know what, that's on me. And you claim responsibility. You take charge of your own life. People see Jesus because it's not you who's doing it. It's not a strength in you. People see through you and they see the cross. Because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is genuine. Jesus is real. Guys, that's what we have to push ourselves to be more like every single day. I want to close in a story from scripture, and you guys might have heard this story um, told from a little bit different of a perspective, Um, but it's in the book of John, chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. We're going to be reading through verses 1 through 9. I just want to read the story, and as we're reading through this, think about how it might apply to you. Soon after, another feast came around, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool, in Hebrew, called Bethesda. With five alcoves, hundreds of sick people, the blind, the crippled, the paralyzed, were in these alcoves. So one man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, Do you want to get well? The sick man said, Sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody's already in it. And Jesus said, get up, take your bedroll, and start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll, walked off, and the day happened to be on the Sabbath. Guys, when I read that story, I see my own life at times. And I see this pool of Bethesda, this place of healing. Maybe it's this sanctuary Maybe it's a circumstance that God has put you in where you're surrounded by a group of believers who want to pour into you and be that healing water in your life. I don't know what it is for you, but I think that you can all relate to this story. Because in reality, what was going on here was we see a man who was paralyzed by his circumstance. We see a man who has made excuse after excuse after excuse in order to not be healed. And I imagine what I would be like if I was that man when Jesus said, do you really want to be healed? You know, I think I would probably be a little ticked off. Like, of course I want to be healed. I'm paralyzed. I've been sitting by this pool for 38 years. Why else would I be here? But you see, that's the problem, is he had been sitting there for 38 years. How many of you guys have been sitting in your circumstances for a very very long time. How many of you guys have been making excuses and placing blame on other people and things in your life for the reason why you're stuck? You see, because scripture here, Jesus here, makes it very clear. He says, get up. He says, get up. And that's when healing occurs. See, guys, tonight, all of us have to learn how to get up. All of us has been knocked down, wounded hurt. All of us have things in our life that are difficult, challenging, and hard, and we have a choice to either be paralyzed by those things, to place the reason that we're in those circumstances on other people, situations, the problems in our life, our past, or we can choose to get up. We can choose to go into the healing waters of Jesus Christ and be healed. But the choice is on us. I'm going to ask the band to come back up now. I want to close with this thought. The people in your lives who struggle with this concept, I like to call them the injustice collectors. The injustice collectors. And the injustice collectors, they pay for their pleasure of this self-apathy by giving up the hope of happiness. And we see that only when we ask whether the price tag is too steep does change actually become possible. Maybe for you in your life, you've given up this hope of happiness. You've given up this idea that healing could actually occur in your circumstances or in your life. Is the price tag too steep? How many more relationships will you hurt because of this mentality? How many more people will you push away? How many more doors that God opens will you walk away from? So my question to you guys tonight is this do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to change? Because if you do, you'll learn to stop making excuses. You'll learn to break that family cycle that says, it's not my fault. It's not on me. There's this idea, um, when I think about God, I think about him being this divine gardener. You know? He's this divine gardener. He's this man who prunes us constantly. You know, I don't know if you know this, but a, a rose bush, when the the heads die, the only way new flowers can grow is if you take those heads off. If you prune the heads off the flowers, and I imagine that that probably hurts the plant a little bit, but it's the only way for new life to occur. Maybe that's you tonight in this room where you're just filled with all this deadness in your life. And you're afraid to let it hurt. You're afraid to get real and be exposed. You've been ashamed and you've hid from God. And because of that, you feel far from Him. You've blamed other people in your circumstances instead of realizing that all you have to do is say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to cut away this dead stuff. Jesus, I need you to make me whole. You see, what happens is is when we throw this junk in the muck and mire of our circumstances and who we are, we don't get clean. We just get other people dirty, and we lose ground. We lose ground. You see, but God redeems our failures. You see, he can turn that muck and mire into compost from the fertilizer of that, He can grow up our lives. See, that's what grace is all about, guys. That's why we're in this place, is to celebrate that restoration that God can have in us as soon as we make the choice to get into the pool. As soon as we make the choice to say, God, I need you. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I just want to thank you for God, thank you for a place where people can just get real. Lord, we know that there's a lot of burden in this room. God, I want to pray for our leader right now. God, we know that Brother Todd is just a man, and every man struggles with sin, every man stumbles. And God, I am so grateful tonight for your cross that says, I know you're gonna mess up and I love you anyways. God, can we be those kind of people that say, I know you messed up, but guess what? I love you anyways. And can we love our leader through this time? God, I just pray for restoration in his life. And Lord, I just pray that tonight, if we've been people who have been bought into this idea of victimism, that everything is our fault, that uh, other people's fault, that the world is out to get us, that we'll constantly be trapped in our circumstance. Would you just challenge us and give us the strength to break free from those chains of excuse making, God, and move and get up and step into healing, Lord, tonight. To be freed from that, to no longer be held back from that, but God, allow you to do a work in us, to take that muck and mire of our life and to grow us into trees that bear fruit. God, we know that you want to give us that abundant life. But first, we have to surrender. And so, Lord, we're just surrendering our hearts humbly to you tonight to do that work. Lord, allow us tonight to just get real with you. And to stop making excuses, but rather to take action to own our responsibility our own things our own lives and allow you to do your work we ask all these things in your son's name amen so guys we're going to sing through this next song and this song is called You Alone Can Rescue and uh, I love this song Because this idea of God being a divine gardener is proof that only one person can fix up our jacked up situations. We can't do it by ourselves. We'll continue to live in these places of pain and hurt and brokenness until we realize this one truth that God alone can rescue, restore, and redeem. So, can we celebrate that tonight? If you're a Christian in the room tonight, would you celebrate that fact as we sing through this next song that God has redeemed your life? And if you're a person who has never received that, would you realize that God is wanting to give that to you? He's wanting to give fullness to you. All you have to do is say, God, I know I mess up. I know I'm broken. And that's why I know I need you. So would you come into my life and radically change me from the inside out? Because I don't want to live this life anymore like this. I want to be filled. During this time, you can come to the altar. Humble yourselves before God. You can pray for this church and the leaders in this church. We would all really appreciate it. Maybe what you need to pray for is yourself, a restoration in your own life. You can take communion and celebrate what Christ did on the cross, the celebration of grace that we're talking about you can give of your tithes and offering to give back to God what he's already blessed you with. But however you respond, when you sing these words to this next song, would you truly realize that God is our rescuer? He is our hope, our strength, and our foundation. And through him, we have strength. Through him, we no longer have to make excuses. We can own who we are. We can bring those things to life. And he will heal us.